Welcome to the Learn Beach Volleyball Fast podcast, the podcast where we apply the science of mastering skills faster, stories of successful people, life hacking concepts, and other cool stuff to the sport of beach volleyball. If you're someone who is serious about getting better at the sport and wouldn't mind accelerating your learning curve and career with ideas that have been previously hard to find within the beach volleyball space, you'll probably like it in here. I'm Alex, the host of the podcast as well as the creator of the bigger Learn Beach Fall Fast project. Now, let's get started. Hey, and welcome to the first ever Learn Beach Roll Fast podcast episode. I finally, 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 I get to release this podcast. I really wanted to start with a bang, so I've been sort of waiting with this until I finally got to interview the maybe the most like-minded to myself sports hacker guy that I've been able to find so far, both online and offline. His name is John Richardson, and he's sort of a... Well, I guess sports slash golf slash life hacker guy that basically set himself up for a golf challenge, a one year challenge that had critics all around the world giving him millions of reasons for why it would not be possible. Pros were telling him to dream on, etc., etc. However, with just a few days before the one year challenge was over, he actually did accomplish his goal. Uh, so, ever since I read his two books about this, um, basically this challenge, I've been sort of dying to get to sit down and, and ask him some questions and discuss some things about basically how to, well, learn sports faster. Because obviously in his year, he learned a lot of golf, but he also learned a lot about just how to optimize your your learning of uh, sports and new skills in general. And um, yeah, that's the conversation that you're about to get to take part of and listen to. However, just before we jump into the conversation and try to learn some beach volleyball learning hacks from, from John's mind, there's just a couple of things that I need to mention. So first of all, the Learn Beach Volleyball Fast project has so far been mostly a YouTube channel, and now it's becoming a podcast as well. And some of you guys that have been following the YouTube channel already know how life-changing and really magical podcasts can be, and you already know that I've been working on this. However, there's probably some of you that haven't known this and has never listened to podcasts before, etc, 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 which in that case, this might sort of not make sense. It might look like a long, long, long YouTube video with no picture. Um, anyway, there are, well, podcasts are going to allow me to help you guys more efficiently. And I will make a special episode soon about how that is the case and sort of share my podcast listening hacks. Um, I won't go too much into that right now here, but for now, if you're not used to podcasts, just think of this as sort of background radio that you can listen to while you do something kind of tedious, some mundane tasks, daily tasks, you're like doing your dishes or or um, commuting or whatever, and you might realize that, hmm, podcasts might be kind of cool because they can actually change some <laughs> some boring daily activities into amazing beach volleyball lessons. I'll talk more about that in the episode that I'll make later, and the link to that will be in the description below once it's done. But I thought it would be good to mention that to not confuse people. And of course, this is going to be on the YouTube channel, but it's also going to be in podcasts, apps, 
which is a better way to listen to this in reality. Um, if you know how to use podcasts app, do that. If not, I'll show you in that special episode as well. Okay, second thing was, <clears throat> well, I didn't wanna, <laughs> I didn't wanna mess up this recording uh, for the first episode, so I had like four backup recordings going on. However, of course, there was some internet problems, so the the sound skipped out in I think like four places, but I was able to fix that with the backup recordings. However, if the sound quality changes slightly in a few places, well. That's why it's just for a few seconds at a time. So it doesn't really matter, but just to not confuse people. Another thing is, <laughs> well, first impressions are always good. There was some, some background noise from my side in the first like two minutes of the interview. Uh, depending on your headphones, you might or might not hear that background noise. Anyway, sorry for that. The rest of the, <laughs> the conversation is is good quality, no background noise, and an amazing content. So, hopefully, you won't mind that too much. Cool. So now that's out of the way. Let's get started. So, welcome, John. Welcome to the well, podcast. Uh, welcome, Alex. Great to be here. Great to be here. <laughs> I've uh, I'm really excited to have you here. I've been uh, I've been um, there's a well, there's a big reason I wanted to start this podcast off with uh, the episode with you, uh, because, um, well, my project name is Learn Beach Volleyball Fast, which means yes. that I am on a challenge to learn beach volleyball as fast as possible within a time period. And, um, well, I met this guy once that I told about my project to, and he said, oh, that sounds like John, my friend. And uh, he went on to explain that you had done a golf challenge. Yes, you had right. set up a goal, a pretty ridiculous goal to hit in one year and uh, actually had done that and wrote a book about it. So he really, he told me I should read your book and that's, that's what I did. And, and now we're here. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's been quite a journey. I, I guess it is. Yeah. Uh, you probably put a, quite a lot of thought into how to learn how to learn skills faster in that year. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, sort of going back one stage, I mean, like you, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by, I'm kind of fascinated by challenges on, on anybody making any improvement or change in their life. I mean, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing without going deep too early in this, but I think, you know, generally in terms of the military, they want, people always want, you want to get soldiers in before they're 23. Because after 23, it's very hard for people to make fundamental change. It's very hard to mold somebody through to, for want of a better term, become a killing machine. So uh -huh. <laughs> you, you, you get them in at 16 and people are very moldable. But once you go past a certain age, you know, in theory, 23, it's much harder to do that. And uh, we all have these hopes and dreams and aspirations and daft ideas when we're teenagers. And then sometimes are even, you know, younger than teenagers. And these things get maybe kicked out of us a bit by, you know, societal norms, by school, by by our parents, by friends and family. So you kind of tend to give up on these dreams uh, of what you what you might have. So to an extent, I had this desire when I was a teenager to to become good at golf, but I didn't do anything about it. I was kind of one of those teenagers who, you know, who <laughs> I wasn't very good at just putting my head down and doing the work, shall we say. 
you know, <laughs> that was whether that's academically or anything else. I was a bit of a class clown, you know, and then you know you get to sixteen and you discover beer and girls and and uh, <laughs> and that's quite a distraction, obviously. Um, so I, I I kind of had this desire to become a good golfer, but did nothing about it. And then literally fast forward 20 years on from that, uh, I'm 37 and I'm really kind of fed up because my golf game is just a complete disaster. I can't even break 100. I'm kind of very, you know, uh, very frustrated with them. I mean, I'm playing maybe once a year, but every time I play, it's worse and worse and worse. So I had this, I, I, I sort of dragged back this sort of teenage or, you know, dreamer version of myself and decided that I wanted to try and see how good I could get within a year. I couldn't break 100 and the target was to try and break par within a year, take 30 or f- over 30 strokes off my game. And conveniently in the golf world, that was regarded as a kind of an impossible thing to do. And I say conveniently because kind of in terms of then ultimately the book and the success of that and a lot of the quotes that I got along the way, lots of people, you know, told me that it was impossible. And, you know, it's even worse now when you're going through your challenge because, the, you know, in terms of social media, everybody has a voice now to tell you what you're doing is you know, wrong or that you're stupid or you look stupid. You know all the stuff. I'm sure you've had some of it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so, you you know, you put this thing out there that I want to get good at, you know, I don't know, anything. It could be business. I want to make a million pounds or dollars or euros or whatever. I want to get really good at or do a golf challenge. I want to get good at beach volleyball. I want to, I don't know, run a marathon a certain time. And there will always be these legions of people on the internet these days just ready to get the knives out for you. You know, as they sit there, <laughs> as I would joke about it, you know, as they sit there metaphorically or physically in their underpants with a beer beside them, you know, judging you. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you can tell a bit better over <laughs> But, but so, you know what I mean? You have them. <clears throat> you know, so, they kind of think... So, so yeah, cut a long story short, yeah, I decided to do this challenge. And, it sounded like you had some, it sounded like you had some online people to prove wrong. <laughs> Is that oh, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, to begin, when, I, when I first, when I first, when I first, when I first, put, you know, put my, uh, as it were, put my head above the parapet and said I was going to do this. Bizarrely, this is quite a long time ago now. It was pre-Facebook, um, so, or, you know, the very, very early Facebook. So I, I, I was blogging about it on an Australian um, forum. And, I mean, the Australians are really good at, you know, sometimes giving you a good kicking. <laughs> you know, it's not all of them, but certainly, you know, they, they don't take any nonsense. And, and I put out this idea. And without exception, I was told, that this was not possible. So at that stage, no one, I mean, you'll, be, you'll have been the same when you started. You're full of your, you're full of your own, um, your own level of confidence. So that doesn't kick in too hard. Until then, of course, you realize that what you're doing is actually really hard, and that you've uh-huh. got to work hard. And and, and I was also. You know, I had a seven-year-old daughter, and I didn't want to be this absent father. I had two garden centers, and I was employing about 120 people. So I was trying to balance work you know, um, and, a, and a home life, as well as trying to hit an enormous amount of golf balls and get better. So kind of looping back around to what you're saying, what I very quickly realized was, yeah, you, you, you have to try and, you know, as the contemporary language would say, it, you have to try and hack getting better. You cannot just go and stand at the range 
and hit lots of golf balls like everybody else does. Yeah, you, you can't you do it the normal way because then it actually it is way. impossible, right? It really is impossible. You do not have time to do that, particularly if you start these things later on in life where it's, you know, where you're, you know, you're not just kind of 13, 14, 15, you know, and, and, and can learn very easily and, and have bound this energy. So, yeah, the, the, a lot of it was very quickly trying to work out, well, what is the fastest way to do it? Uh-huh. You know, how Absolutely. to achieve this. So I've been, I wrote here, my first question was, was about um, belief, but yeah. what I'm thinking here is, is there's two, two parts of believing, which is one is your own belief in, in the challenge, your, your own belief that it's possible. Then it's also sure. the, the, the other people, the one that try yeah. to tell you that it's possible or it's impossible or whatever. But, and those combined, of course, create different sort of uh, combinations, but Did you actually start believing it more because the people were negative towards you or would it have helped if they were positive or do you have any thoughts about, do you understand what I mean? I have massive amounts of thoughts on every part of this. <laughs> There's no part of this I haven't thought through in enormous detail. Uh, yeah. That's why I'm having you here. The, you know, I used to do a fair bit of corporate speaking about this as well. I don't do so much now, but yeah, what what happens is it's exactly as you say. You have your own belief, and that's quite a fragile thing. If it's going well, this you and you can continue. You believe that you can do it. Generally, the scores will be good. You will, you know, you'll end up. You you know you will keep improving, but if you then do a bad round of golf or you know um, or whatever the equivalent would be in terms of your whatever your measurement you know processes are, huh. it, then your belief gets knocked. You know you start to then think oh well maybe I can't do it, and then if you get a bit of a kicking as it were online or or out somewhere when somebody says to you you know for, you're out at a, at a social situation and somebody asks you how it's going. And, uh, you know, and, and it's not going very well, <laughs> you know, you, you, it's very easy for them to go. Yeah, well, I just don't think it's possible. And then you start to you start to absorb some of their lack of belief. But what I worked out was actually there are there are there are kind of three types of people in terms of this. You've got people who support you really genuinely, you know, who think that's really great. What can I do? My brother sat in that category. You know, he was he was just enormously supportive the whole way through. I had a couple of two or three friends are enormously supportive. Then you've got people who are outwardly supportive of you. They, you know, they 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 say they're supportive now, um, and they want you to do well, and you think they think you want to do well, but actually, what you're doing kind of <laughs> it doesn't suit them. So, for example, one of my business partners was in that category. So she would maintain that she was very supportive, but actually she wasn't at all. So she and she would sort of almost drip feed little pieces in to sort of knock the confidence and say, you know, nobody would judge you if you stopped now. You've worked very hard at it, you know, and, and, and you know, but it's not going to happen. But she would say, then say, you know, yeah, but of course, I'm completely supportive of it. But those can be very damaging to you as well, because you realize actually you're starting to annoy people. You're pissing people off by this slightly daft thing that you're doing. So you have yeah, the, so and then you have, like a subtle... you have you have people who are outwardly very negative to you, and to an extent, it's almost easier to just dismiss them because they are, as I say, in my head, I can position them as 
you know, the fat slob on the sofa in their underpants with the, you know, <laughs> you know, potato chips and the beer. You know, it's like well, they, they, that person doesn't count because they're not trying to do anything with their lives. <laughs> so I think there's all sorts of levels. But the, but the belief thing is massive. I, 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 I'm asked sometimes what was the secret to the whole thing? And people are always looking for in golf in particular. People are fascinated by this concept of what is, what's the secret? Everybody used to think that Ben Hogan, you know, arguably the greatest golfer of all time. They used to always think that he had found a secret. And the secret in my mind, ultimately, sorry, he would maintain that the secret was he would talk about it's digging the dirt, i.e. hitting lots of golf balls. Uh, um, but the, 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 the secret in my mind is the belief, because every single time I um, my belief would wane for whatever reason, my scores would drop off. And every single time then I might hit a, my belief would go back up again because I'd maybe have a good score. Then you just see this graph going up and down and it directly <laughs> related through to the level of belief that I had. It was, you know, your belief is strong. You just do more work. You get out there and you really do the hard graft. You know, you, you stay an extra half hour at the range. You just, you know, you go back, you know, you get up early and, and go to the range in the morning and practice then. And then you come back at lunchtime. You know, you maybe do it three times a day and trying to, to manage the whole thing around. So I think belief is huge. Absolutely. I mean, as it is for anything, you know, you, you know, this, these, these yeah, kind of yeah, sporting, for, for everything it is. They're a metaphor for, for uh, everything that we do in our lives. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just thinking back to back to this project that I'm creating. Like, yeah, I basically some years back, I was someone who, in my own mind, tried to get good at beach volleyball, but I didn't. I didn't coach, I didn't do any of that, and uh, I wasn't good enough for people to really let me coach. Uh, yes. But but I, I saw this future of mine that I need to make my way towards starting to coach, because when I start coaching, I will learn faster about the sport myself as well, and et cetera, et cetera. And I had all these ideas and whatnot. And now, years later, well, I'm not only coaching, I'm also having this project and people are liking it. And today I'm recording a podcast. And sure. So, and, and this all, I, I just remember when I sat home and I was thinking, this is what I want to do. Um, but I hadn't taken an action on it to that point when I realized, shit, I need to just make this happen. It's no one else is going to make this happen except me. So I actually just sat down that evening or afternoon and just sat down and wrote like an action plan like this is what i'm gonna do these are these are the people i'm gonna ask yes uh, if if i can coach them as my first group ever coaching etc cetera, etc cetera. and then things been rolling ever since that afternoon yeah it's and interesting just, i call that moment often i refer to that moment as a click moment because sometimes we think about doing these things sometimes for years i had this in my head for years this as a project but actually most of us you know, most of us don't read, you know, life is comfortable without having to stick your neck out and do, challenges, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, because all of a sudden people start not liking you. <laughs> well, this, yeah, exactly that, you know, and we all have our little fragile egos. So it's, it's much easier to think I'm going to do this. For example, I have a I have a project, uh, another book I'm going to write. And it's about it's about because most of my core work is about consulting through the cafes and coffee shops. Mm -hmm. On the next book, and I've written three books in that market, and, 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 and books actually, books aren't a difficult thing for me to write. They were difficult to begin with, but that's, it's a little bit of a comfort zone for me to an extent. But this new book it involves uh, driving from one side of the States to the other, interviewing lots of people along the way. So there's all sorts of logistical stuff involved with that. I need to organize all sorts of different things. There's some expense within the whole thing. And because I'm not a very good organizer, 
then it, I, I, I've put it off now for two years, actually probably three years. So in theory, it'll happen next October, but it, it's something I have to click into my head to actually committing to it. Now, it'll be in a very exciting project. It'll be great for me in all sorts of different ways. It'll be kind of a fascinating thing to do. But, but there, are, there are some awkward pieces of it that mean that I just carry on with my normal life. And the mm -hmm. click for me happens because three things happen. You decide that you really want to do the thing, whatever that might be. And it could be a book when you drive across the state and, 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 and sort of really investigate cafe and, you know, diner culture in, in the States. And I need to have a photographer with me and all sorts of stuff like that. You've got this thing that you that's the thing that I decide I really want to do. If I don't want to do it enough, if I don't want to do the golf enough. If you don't want to do your volleyball enough, you'll never get started, you know. Mm -hmm. So that, that's that's the first thing. And then the second thing is the away from. You need to have enough discomfort with the present situation that you're in. You need to feel uncomfortable enough and think, okay, enough, you know, enough, Alex, enough, John. Just, you know, I'm getting really fed up with just the status quo. I, I'm, I'm annoyed with myself for not going. So if you've got those two together, then you start to have this thing that spirals up in your head. And then the third thing is the actual belief that you can do it. So if you can believe that you can, you know, shoot this subpar round of golf, if you believe, you believe even that you can write a book. I had to do the same process to write the first book out of this because I'm, you know, I'm not, I wasn't a writer. Mm -hmm. You have to try and put, you know, so I put that off for a long period of time too, even though I'd finished the project um, and, and then had to sort of get into this click. So you've got to, you've got to, you've got to spin your way around the three of those. It's the thing that you want to move towards. It's a dissatisfaction with where you are now. And then finally it's this underlying belief. If those aren't all three of those aren't there, it's very hard to get going. So some version of that, will have happened to you on that day where you finally sat down and came up with the action plan, you know? Does that make sense? Absolutely, that makes complete sense. And if I, if I would, because <clears throat> I've done quite a lot of these click moments in my life, and sure. And if I would go, go a little bit Tony Robbins here, uh, he, I think he talks about zooming out from your present position into the future. Yes. And seeing that if you're st the way I'm going right now in life, is yes. that going to take me where I want? Or is it 20 years down going to take me into some big, big regrets? And yes, some sort of version of that is, is quite often there. It, yeah, it's really it's it's the YOLO. It's the we only live once type of thing. Like we exactly. <laughs> might as well try or or, <laughs> or it's not worth it kind of thing. Um, he, he talks about it as being a Dickens moment based upon Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, you know, where, it's, where, where you've got the ghost of Christmas future coming along and showing you the potential of your life. And that's an enormously strong thing. And what I talk about it is the deathbed moments. So that I'm lying on my deathbed. If I if I had I, I knew that I always wanted to try and I'd be, I knew I'd be I'd been kicking around this golf thing for 20 years. Uh -huh. So. You know, if I hadn't done it I, and, and, and I got to sort of 70 or 80 or 90 or whatever, and I was lying on my deathbed, I'd be really irritated with myself. So it's one of the things that I do sometimes to try and motivate myself to do something that's a bit out of the ordinary is just imagine lying on my deathbed, you know, and, 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 and not having done the thing. Uh, and it's a very strong motivator to make you get off your fat backside. <laughs> 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 Absolutely, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I hope people can. It, it, it's funny because this talk here is is 
for me about the most important personal development talk. I don't know how many people are going to think about this in their sort of sports goals, but I know that every single person always needs a reminder of this because we all have something that we <laughs> need to get 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 our asses off <laughs> and start <Exactly>. doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so another question I had about this this belief thing is, in in terms of your challenge, was there any key moments you remember that you would have probably given up the challenge if your belief was not strong that you could do it? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, not really. The belief was generally strong enough. There was a period. So I started in May uh, and I had I had given myself one full calendar year to have to do this. And the Christmas was really tricky because I was scoring badly. And I can remember there was a lot of, you know, there's lots of friends and family occasions around out there and I can remember thinking god I'm just not doing well and a lot of people asking me how it was doing and I just having to sort of go it's not I'm not going very well and that was really really tricky but I Christmas got through that over bit. half into the period yeah over halfway yeah. through exactly and then so then I got through that piece fine and then the, the, the then and I started scoring really well in February um and but then I then it started to drop off again. So I remember I very nearly broke power. I got I shot a 75 and it was a par 71 and I could have done a lot better than the 75. So I remember thinking this is all going better and I didn't stop working. I, I worked harder than ever, but my scores started to get worse than ever. And I can remember in the last two or three weeks of the challenge, I was also writing for Golf Digest in Ireland. I can remember writing, talking to the editor of that, like, you know, telling my secrets to a journalist. And I said to him, I said, I, I, I don't think I'm going to do it. And that was the only person I admitted that to. Um, and uh, and then, of course, it, it all came good in the end. But that it all came good only because I, I, you know, through a chance meeting with somebody, you know, who, who I knew reasonably well, then speaking to somebody else who they knew a little bit, who then put a thing onto an old version of LinkedIn called eAcademy in those days. And, and and put a call out because my head was just pickled. It became a real mental issue then because I was, you know, I knew that every part of my individual game was getting better than ever, but my my scoring was getting worse. So I kind of needed the help of that sort of sports psychologist who came along and helped me in the end there. But again, with only two or three weeks to go, you know, I wasn't going to give it up. I was just, I, I, I kept going, but I can remember thinking the belief was really falling off. And again, to a large extent, what he did was just sort of reinforce that belief. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So so you you actually, you were better at the skills than you had been before, the, the individual skills, but you just couldn't put the bag That's together, exactly, so to say. That's exactly right. You know, so, I mean, the golf, golf really breaks down into, you know, there are several things that you're doing on, on, on pretty much on every hole. You've got to do... Generally, you've got to try and hit well off the tee, normally with a driver, you know, on the longer holes. Mm -hmm. So there's that key piece of the game. Then you've got that sort of irons from the fairway as another piece of the game. Then you've got that short game piece around the green, and then you've got the putting. Every part of those was better, including my sand play. So I knew it was better. All the practice that I was doing, because I was really kind of strong in terms of data and scoring my improvements, you know, through specific ways, you know, in the individual practice. Uh, all of that was getting better, but my actual scores on the course were getting worse. 
I mean, it, it really was. I, it, you know, it's interesting as I as I talk to you about it now. I can remember just how, you know, it's it's a horrible feeling that because you, you you sort of feel like you're staring humiliation in the face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Not for the first time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, that must be tough. Uh, that actually very smoothly moves us to my next question sure uh, which is gonna con- sort of continue on the same so <clears throat> when i thought about in the beginning of my of my challenge uh, my challenge is a little bit different from yours i was 24 when i started and yeah. i gave me myself until i'm 35 <laughs> so i had 11 years instead of one year yeah. but i really thought deeply about the different parts of the of the whole skill of becoming a good player yes and i had three main parts one is one is the technique like how you actually do the hits how you do the moves whatnot uh, form etc then there's stra- so that would be in golf i mean the the hitting techniques the putting the the driving whatnot yeah uh, then there's the strategy which yeah. in beach volleyball is is kind of like how do we play against these opponents how do we yeah. play against those how do you you know what's smart in what situation whatnot and in golf there's court management yeah I guess course management. yeah yeah and uh, like course management really huge because you can really play in different ways at every different time and that's right and uh, that can influence your game a lot that's and that's exactly. also based on what sort of techniques you have and and whatnot For sure. a good tactical golfer somebody can hit the ball very well can easily be beaten by somebody with really good course management skills exactly exactly and same in beach volleyball same in beach volleyball you you see people at at a high level with all sorts of weird techniques they're just smarter than the people with the good techniques and and still beat them Uh, so and then there's the third part the mental part the basically sports psychology how do you keep your head straight not get stressed out not not start worrying too much so you start making mistakes etc etc yeah uh, but these three i think we can both agree that any one of these three if you take them away completely you're not going to play good golf or beach volleyball yes uh, uh it's kind of like a three-legged chair like yes. if you only have three legs you take one leg away and the chair just will fall down yeah uh so i'll give I you was, my, my my version of that is in, in golf there's a I think it was Bobby Jones who originally said it. They talk about, you know, the game, this game is played between the five inches between each ears. And that's all, you know, <laughs> it's just a mental game. But that, that that's nonsense. <laughs> yeah, because it, I don't it, think it's when you it, can actually swing and hit the ball well. Exactly. You know, that's only sort of applies if you're actually basically almost a professional to begin with. Yeah, because people always say the mental game is everything, but yeah. but it's and it's it's true. If you don't, if you completely don't have the mental game, then then you're gonna lose. But as you say, you also need the other parts. <laughs> yes. So, so, but if you when once you have the technique automated, you have the strategies really automated, and you sort of do them second nature. Well, then it becomes a mental game. Yes, I, I agree with that. But anyway, the the question I had was sort of. What order do you think, because we all have limited amounts of time for practice, and of course we can create practice that both uh, practices technique and mentality and maybe strategy, etc. But how do you like, um, how did you think in your one year, did you have one part that you started with before the others or one that you took later, etc.? You understand what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I, I think... 
I, I did have a Golf Pro that worked with me to begin with. I had a, well, I, I did have what I felt was the basic sort of ability to swing a golf club quite well. But when I started with this Golf Pro, she said to me, we, we basically had to start from scratch. So we had to start with really, really core fundamentals as if I was a complete beginner. And I can remember that being very frustrating because I just thought we were going to kind of improve my swing and, uh -huh. and would suddenly get back to being something half reasonable. And she said, well, but no, if we're trying to create you to be the equivalent of a scratch golfer, somebody who can shoot a subpar round, then we really have to, you, you know, we have to go right back to the beginning. So that first few weeks, I mean, I didn't hit a golf ball for the first I didn't go back in the course for six weeks after I started and uh, I didn't hit a golf ball for nearly properly for nearly two weeks, if I remember correctly, because what we were trying to do <laughs> was just try and ingrain in place the stance, you know, the uh, the grip you know, and, and, and your posture. And to a very large extent, if you speak to if you were to speak to Jack Nicholas about it you know, the greatest golfer of all time in terms of the statistics, he he would maintain, yeah, that, you know, it, it, it's it's those fundamentals. When things are going wrong, you've got to go back to the fundamentals and that's the stance, it's the way you grip the club, it's the way, you know, your posture and all of those things. So that, it was, it was much more back to the fundamentals than I first thought it was going to be. So it very much started with the fundamentals and then uh -huh. a lot of the other, you know, the, the, the other parts of my game, kind of the course management part of the game and the whole mental thing then came after that. My course management didn't get much better until at least halfway through uh, when I went out and played with a guy who was really, really good. And he, uh, you know, he, he taught me an awful lot. Um, he could, he, he was he'd playing off, you know, he had a plus handicap. Um, I, you know, he was better than scratch and he was had quite quite badly arthritic hips so he wasn't able to hit the ball in anything like as well as he used to be able to but his course management was astonishing um and 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 you know so these things come in a logical way but i think any improvement it must start with the fundamentals and it's the same thing whether you know in any sport um in any improvement as far as i'm concerned you know setting up a business you really have to start with something fundamentally sound before you would start to market that or whatever you've got to be able to deliver the product or the service properly fundamentals yeah i i remember i listened to a podcast before with a golf coach actually and yep. he had this analogy that uh when a player comes to him and has some sort of semi-faulty swing or whatever he usually asks the player if they want to just tweak it a little bit so it gets better but there's going to yes. be like a maximum limit of how good it can become or if he wants or if the player wants to just rebuild everything from scratch uh, which for him it's like kind of like learning to drive a semi bad car as fast as possible or actually yes. taking the car apart in the garage reworking it's, it's it making it properly yeah so so this golf pro then i guess took the decision for you that since you had a year of time there would be time to rework the the fundamentals so it's a combination the time was enough to rework the fundamentals and your goal your challenge your goal was so high that you would have to work, rework the fundamentals that's, to be able that's to. exactly right that's exactly exactly right. so 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 she i think it was a she right that the it coach was, you had. Yeah, yeah. yeah um she basically took that decision for you that we are yeah. going to <laughs> rework these fundamentals based on your goal yeah. and your and your time
Yeah, and, and and of course, you know, fundamentals are boring. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, depends. Depends. The, <laughs> I yeah, think there's ways to, to enjoy the process, really, but <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, I think it's like the really, really, really first part of fundamentals are nearly always boring. Then, then that process of improving is fascinating, and I kind of, I really, I, I love the process. I love the process of practice. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, <clears throat> the practice is the thing I enjoyed far more actually than than playing golf in the end. Uh, <clears throat> okay, you know, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's actually, you know, it sounds as if that would be very unusual, but I, um, I remember reading a book by uh, Pia Nilsson, who's Annika uh, Sorensen's coach, and Annika Sorensen was essentially the best female golfer in the world, and, and and she talked about how that, you know, a lot of people, that's not an unusual scenario, because you just, there, there's something I can remember getting into i'm not sure whether you do this in terms of your own practice but you get into this kind of a because golf is ostensibly quite a solitary game you know it's not a a, a game where you you react to somebody else mm-hmm. i i kind of really love that bliss and zen peace of being at the range on my own even in the middle of the winter you know with the rain you know and the range was covered but you know it's a bit cold but as long as you've got the right clothes on and you're covered you know just hitting hundreds of golf balls and just going into this kind of almost meditative state i love that that's the piece i love more than anything else uh-huh so can i ask you one thing when you do that do you <clears throat> do you spend your mental energy into sort of discovering more and more details of your technique more and more details about how things are done yes yeah i mean i i, I was <clears throat> if we talk about this hacking of it I mean, you you must be familiar with the whole ten thousand hours concept and ten thousand hours, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody, it's it's been sort of, you know, kind of done to death. Or, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I still kind of, I still believe uh, in, in the core principles behind it. Um, you, you need time, definitely. Yeah, you need time, yeah. but you also need to make the most of your time. Well, this is it. That's the point. It's not just you can't just randomly put ten thousand hours or lots and lots of golfers out there. If you apply it to golf, there are thousands of golfers out there who will have put ten thousand hours into their golf just because they play every weekend and have done, you know, you know, for a long period of time. But it's it's about if you've got if you've only got the way that I worked this out was generally I had about 15 hours a week uh-huh. and <laughs> that I could devote to this. Now, 15 hours a week isn't much more than um, it isn't much more than just uh, playing golf twice the weekend. By the time you get in the car, you know, maybe have a drink afterwards and all of that stuff. So what I what I had to do was try and massively accelerate what I was doing in that period of time. And that became the challenge as to how do I really make substantial change? And then I worked the thing out that actually probably it was a bit more than 15 hours a week by the time that I was actively devoting to the challenge. By the time I was watching all the videos and all the stuff, you know, accompanying stuff, reading the books. And, you know, as you think you probably know, I read 60 books on on, 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 on sort of on golf and also sporting improvement full stop during the year. Watched, you know, dozens of videos and things. Uh-huh. So I, I spent a lot of time um, uh, really going deep in that. But but what I had to do was if I'm if I've got two or three hours at the range, I can't just hit. 300 balls with the driver i have to get to the end of that range session and be better and and i had to do then work out some techniques as to how do i actually get better how do i really really improve you know um uh, during that period of time what, what is it that i can do so that i start at 7 p.m 
and leave the range at half past nine and and you know and, and have made progress uh-huh and what was the answer <laughs> to that well um the, the one of the key things was i i and, and i don't know whether you've done this um sorry give me just two seconds i've got to let a cat out the door <laughs> <laughs> okay that's fine <laughs> a cat shouldn't be kept kept where she or he doesn't want to be well, this is this, and then you're going to end up hearing all this noise of this meowing going on in the background. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you, it's not the first time I've had to do this. Sometimes I'm sitting there on business calls, and, and I'm trying to be, hey, I'm a big professional. So um, uh, one, of, one of the key things that I did was I tried to make key parts of – I tried to make my range sessions harder than being out in the course. So what I mean by that is there were a number of key things that I did. So, for example – chipping and hitting the ball just with my left hand, my arm, my left hand, you know, taking my right hand off, particularly in terms of my chipping and and pitching. That was the number one thing that improved that, i.e. that's much harder than actually gripping and pitching with two hands in the club. And also playing with just standing on one foot. Mm -hmm. Um, Also then playing and trying to strike the ball but not looking at the ball so lots of little techniques like that where you just try and make it as as much harder so that you 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 have to if you can only use one hand to hit the ball you are um you are you you every your your balance much needs to be much better you need to be much more in control you need to not jerk the club away because you don't have the strength to jerk the club away and you have to have a much tighter much much lighter grip just to let the the ball go through so those were some of the things that i did i used to also do things like i used to aim for little tiny targets um and not leave the range until i'd actually hit that and sometimes i was you know close to crying with frustration (laughs) i actually hadn't hit the thing and I'd made this promise to myself, and there's nobody else about. But you know, it's like you can make a promise to somebody else sometimes, uh, uh, and then break it. But if you really promise yourself something, you just end <laughs> up. If you don't actually do it, you end up feeling so bad about yourself. And uh, and I can remember, I, I, I there was one thing where I was pitching to try and hit a tiny little mark, in, and it was about a 15. I think it was about a 15 yard pitch that I was doing, or chip. Uh huh. And I thought I'd be able to hit it within about 20 balls. And it took me something like 178 or something before I finally hit it. And I, but, but the next day when I went out in the course, I was so much more confident with that club. So much more confident. Because you just have to, you know, there, there's nowhere to go if you create a tiny target. Same thing with putting. If you putt and you have to hit a tee that you've put in the green, that's a smaller target than the hole. And therefore, when you go out in the course the hole actually is bigger, so it's easier. Uh-huh. So that whole making practice harder was re- was it was a huge piece for me. It was probably the thing that um, it was probably the thing that that improved my game more than anything else. Coming up with all sorts of little sort of tricks like that. That's super interesting. So <clears throat> if I'm gonna if you look at the research and and what a lot of coaches believe today. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of research saying that <laughs> that uh, doing these kind of things that are more difficult than than what you should do is a waste of time. Uh, right. I'm not. Give me a second. There's more to this. Uh, yeah. 
there is also some research saying that that it is good to do stuff where you're, for example, distracted by by things like you have to think at two things at at the same time as you're doing your sport, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Anyway, that all of that research is is very, according to me, when I start reading it, I, according to me, it's very foundational. Like it's it's not advanced at all. So I don't really know if you can actually say that this is how it is or or this is how it's not. But my question to you. For example, when you when you pitched with one leg, which is one could argue that that's something you're not gonna do in a game. Yes. Uh, so you're the, never gonna do it. <laughs> I, I'm guessing you you learned stuff from that. Uh, f- like you you, you learn a new, new skill in a, ex- your balance. But did did that balance then transfer to your normal game automatically, or did you have to like think about it and like realize that okay, I learned it, it this transfers from... automatically because. Well, it transferred automatically because because it's a to an, well there is there is a there is clearly a thought process. There's no doubt about that. There is a thought process that I'm trying to then apply it then through. Um, but I became obsessed with measuring the improvement. So I'll give you an example of it. Let's let's take the one armed pitching in particular. So what I would do is I would go and uh, go to the range or go somewhere and pitch actually I, I used to go out on the course late at night um and i would pitch with, with two hands and um and, and then measure how close maybe say 15 balls got to the hole then i would go back and let's say that the average distance was three feet from the hole uh-huh. yeah and then i would go back and i'd do 15 balls with my left hand then 15 balls with my right hand. And then I would measure again 15 balls with both hands. And uh-huh. it was always closer. It was In other words, so what you do, you're doing two things there. You, you, you're, you, one part of it is that you are physically improving your your skill. You're physically, you know, you're you're laying down the myelin, as it were, in terms of the your synapses. You're 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 building through practice a better ability to strike the ball for that distance. But the second thing is you're actually building your belief. You know, you've, you've, this is why data was so important to me so that I, I get to the end of that. And not just have I, as it were, improved or started to lay down, you know, new myelin in my brain between the synapses for that particular action. What I was uh-huh. also doing was changing my belief about how good I was at that piece. And therefore, when you're out in the course, you have both of those to an extent coming together. So there is there is Absolutely. a oh, there is some of it happening automatically, but there's some of it also when you're out in the course is you still trying to tell yourself as you stand on the tee or stand in the bunker or, or you know, or have a long putt that you have done this before to an extent. Do you know what I mean? Or that yeah. you've you've been there and you can actually do that. So it's, it's 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 like so many of these things, there are multiple factors in play when you're actually out there competing. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I until about a year ago, I, I used to be quite skeptical of these kind of drills or where you make things more difficult, etc. And then yeah. I, me and a friend had sort of a training camp. And um, so we basically spent two months having a full time job of just trying to get better at the sport. <laughs> and yes. um, the thing that happened was that we ended up getting so exhausted by the by the training volume that we yes. started experimenting with a bunch of things that wasn't so taxing for our bodies. And yes. one of them was was basically uh, couples juggling and 
couples juggling with a volleyball. So we would do two balls that we throw and one that we play with a volleyball hit. Yeah, uh, that's that's one of the things we experimented with. And I, I agree, like it, it it was just super difficult in, in the beginning. And I actually think that I got better from it just uh, in terms of like reaction speed and knowing what it's like to be relaxed so that you can react fast. Yeah. Uh, but definitely like when you start getting those a lot of reps in that very highly stressful environment and you sort of are able to figure them out <laughs> like it still works, you, you yes. do start believing that you'll be able to do that in a game as well. Sure. I mean, there, there are there is a key thing is that, yeah, you, you can't do there's a very finite amount of highly stressed practice that you can do in one day. You're absolutely right. You know, you just you cannot do more than a few hours of that in a day. Um, but that's why, so I used to do two, two different forms or I just talk about two forms of practice that I do, some of which was very hard practice, I harder than being out in the course. And then I used to also do what I would term play practice. And that was much easier because that would be what I would talk about sometimes just messing about with the club and with the ball and sometimes using the wrong club to try and get out of a bunker or to do a lob shot with. So it's a little bit like you are messing about like you would do as a child. You're and just it, like playing it, around and, and you're just playing around trying things. And you're just trying to just do stupid things with the ball and messing about with it and not not really measuring, not measuring at all, just 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 messing about with the ball in the wrong type of club. Absolutely. Which, if if you think about it, it's it's another way of practicing something that's difficult, more difficult than what it should be. But it's it's a different mentality. That's right. And that's and right. I really think um, when I asked you before about uh, when you you said you can get in this meditative state of just driving over and over and over again. When I asked you if you sort of um, discover things in your in the movements when you do that. For me, that playfulness actually makes that discovery easier because I think you're the, right. the more playful you are, the, the more prone you are to do things in ways that you're not normally doing them. And it's every now and then you hit something that works that you didn't know that you could do. And then you sort of grab that insight and bring it with you into what I would call like the, the serious play. Like you actually find yes, exactly. things in your playing around that you can then bring with you into when you're actually not playing around anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. It, uh, it's it's basically just a, a state of doing something that has a bigger possibility for you to have new insights and realize things. That's right. That's right. And also, what it does as well is it allows you to actually extend the time that you practice. And it, you know, because it's quite good fun, it makes it easier then for you to view the whole practice piece as fun rather than just this ordeal that you're trying to put yourself through. Because if you are, whether it's a one year challenge or a kind of an 11 year challenge, you still, you know, if it, if it stops being fun, you know, uh -huh. you're, you're, you're not going to see it through. You know, you're eventually going to you're eventually going to persuade yourself out of it. Hey, Alex here. So I hope you've been enjoying the podcast episode and John's ideas and whatnot so far. We did, me and John, we did talk for nearly one hour, 40 minutes, which I realized is a little bit long for just one podcast episode. So I decided to split this off and uh, the rest of the conversation will be episode two of the Learn Beach Fast podcast that will come out next week. 
there's a slight chance that it will feel like I split this episode off sort of in the middle of everything. <laughs> and that's kind of true because there wasn't really any supernatural good place to, to split this episode off because the conversation kind of just flows from one point to another. And right here in the conversation, I'm about to go into what I believe is sort of the sort of the most, maybe the most important thing to consider for anyone that wants to do a long-term challenge or or project of, of some sort. And of course, after that, John's wisdom kicks in again and, and whatnot and whatnot, and we continue. <laughs> so yeah, there was, I just had to split it off somewhere and, and this is where, where it was. Uh, but maybe, hopefully, that will work as a little cliffhanger for you to want to come and listen to the second episode next week. <laughs> But yeah, I hope that you've been enjoying this episode and that it has led to some, maybe some great insights, some new thoughts that you can then take and apply to your beach volleyball career. I also hope that you start to see how it makes sense and maybe start to get a little bit excited that the Learn Beach Volleyball Fast project is expanding into a podcast as well on top of the YouTube channel and coaching it has been so far. And soon I'll start creating my in-depth courses as well. And actually, just a few days ago, I actually hosted what could be maybe considered the first ever Learn Beach Volleyball Fast uh, Beach Volleyball Camp, which was just an amazing, amazing experience. It was really, really fun and, and, um, and good. So slowly but surely, this project is becoming, is moving towards what I want it to be, sort of my vision. And sort of what I really wished had existed when I started playing beach volleyball myself. Because when I started playing, I was really hungry for information. I was looking online everywhere. I was asking coaches, etc., etc. But it was kind of disappointing. I'm not sure if, if this is your experience. But what I found was that a lot of the information I was able to find was sort of just like, general very short advice nothing in depth and actually quite low quality actually a lot of times it would send me down paths in my in my journey to becoming a better player that would just be bad it just wasted a lot of time because i believed in the stuff that people were telling me but ultimately ended up not being true so so it was kind of shitty and and I, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't like inefficiency, so, <laughs> so it sort of became my, my mission to start this project. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, but my mission is really to sort of fundamentally change how beach volleyball information, what it's like online and, and offline for, for the better. And people could probably come up with one million reasons for why this is not going to be possible, etc., etc. But I guess I just, during one of those thinking sessions where, you know, what if we just live once? And, and I just think there's so much untapped potential in how beach volleyball is taught around the world today. So if nobody else is going to create this project, well, maybe I just have to give it a shot. You know, <laughs> someone has to do it. And honestly, so far, this journey has been, excuse my language, but it's been a fucking blast of a journey. It's been so much fun. It's been amazing. And slowly and slowly, there's more and more people acknowledging that I'm doing something different than everybody else is doing. I'm doing something better that, than people are doing. And I'm so thankful for all of you guys. I'm so thankful for all of you listening to this podcast episode 
would I have dropped this a few years ago? Nobody would have listened to to this, but now you're actually here, and and it means so much that that it's actually possible for me to create this project and and the feedback I get from you guys, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It really, it's amazing. Thank you so much. So if you got any value out of this episode and you would like to hear more. And more content like this well the exact same thing as with the youtube videos is true the more you help me grow this project the faster i'll be able to create more quality content basically the the list of videos that followers have been asking me to create and that i'm planning to create and that i really 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 want to create is just getting longer and longer so so in a way i'm i'm more and more behind on the schedule all the time and really the next step for me personally with growing this project is to start hiring video editors so that I can spend more of my time in the creation of the videos, the recording of the videos, the, the thinking about the, the ideas that I'm going to talk about and less in the sort of uh, repetitive uh, editing work, which uh, currently it's a lot of my time. But the faster I can get to that point where I have a video editing team, the f- the better because at that point I'll just be able to ramp out so much more content so much faster um, to you guys and really how we get there is is getting this project to to grow to a point where where that makes uh, sense so maybe maybe one of the best ways to help me grow this project uh, is really to just tell people about it tell your friends tell your people you you tell your enemies <laughs> no <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tell, tell everybody you're, you're playing beach volleyball with, etc., etc., and, and people that would find value out of this. Because, of course, um, getting coaching from me and being engaged with my online courses and, and everything that, that will come out is also very, very, very helpful. Uh, but once the numbers go up, once the just general awareness of the project goes up, well, then everything else goes up as well as a, as a side effect. So... I do think that that's kind of the most important, just uh, sharing the word, getting more people to, to think differently, <laughs> maybe think bigger, etc., uh, etc. Et Another thing that helps with growing this project is basically all forms of engagement with it, whether that's comments on the YouTube videos or in my Facebook group or direct messages to me. There's a lot of both do they help the algorithms in like YouTube to make uh, make you to promote the channel more to other people but i also learn a lot of tons from from the feedback i get from you guys i'm constantly getting better at creating my videos because of ideas that you i get from you guys and and all of that so that really really helps too another thing is of course to to subscribe to everything that you can subscribe to uh, which is now it's uh, the youtube channel uh, you can subscribe to the podcast in, in various podcast apps. You can subscribe to the email list and you can um, join the Facebook group. That's that's basically what you can do. <laughs> and I'll have links to all of that in the description below or in the show notes for the podcast. Another thing that's going to be in the description and the show notes is links to John's two books, the, the golf books. I read both of them and I highly, highly, highly recommend them to anyone that wants to, well, get better at sports. They were really insightful, really great reads that has given me a lot of ideas and helped me a lot in beach volleyball. So very, very much approved by me as worthwhile reading for for anyone doing any sorts of sports and the links to those are going to be in the description as well. 
Cool. So thanks for now and thank you for listening to first ever Learn Beach Vol Fast podcast episode. And I hope you're stoked for for part two in a week with uh, with the rest of John's conversation. So they say that half of the job is just showing up and that's clearly what you have just done by listening to this whole episode. Now there's just the second part of the job to be done, which is to go out and make your dreams come true. So I hope you have an amazing week, amazing day, and uh, let's uh, make it happen. Bye.